You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And welcome to what is going to be a two-part episode of Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It's going to be episode 308 and 309. I'm listening to 308 right now. But uh, obviously, it's been a big week for the Atlanta Braves, and I am joined by both of my regular co-hosts, Eric Cole and Scott Coleman, are both here. Hello, gentlemen. Fight amongst yourselves. I am simply surprised that we didn't see any Braves, like, you know, arrested for public intoxication from the celebrations this week. Uh, I am very interested in talking about some of those celebrations because they were pretty great. Uh, and, you know, obviously great to see you guys, and I'm really excited to talk about baseball with you. Yeah, what a week. I mean, this was this time last week. We really just – it was the the impending waiting of, of what was going to be a huge series for the Braves, and uh, what a way to close it out. And as you just said, we have a lot of good stuff to talk about. A lot of fun fun things happened over the last week, and um, and here we go. Yeah, obviously a lot to get into, and uh, because it's actually it's kind of a luxury. It's also kind of uh, interesting in a lot of ways because of where the Braves are. They're locked into their seating. They're locked into their matchup. We, they will see the Milwaukee Brewers beginning on Friday, so we kind of already have that information. You know, oftentimes the three of us or two of the three of us will have to wait the last couple of years for a playoff opponent or some specifics, and this time around it's the last day of the regular season, and we've known – the Braves were going to play the Brewers for three or four days at this point. So uh, no, no time to waste. We'll kind of get into some look back stuff on part one of this podcast. And then part two, we'll spend diving into Braves Brewers because it doesn't start again until Friday. But there isn't too much that's going to change between now and then. So um, there's a beauty in that. There's also a lot of waiting, a lot of probably frustrated waiting if you like baseball like I do to watch it. But I guess you'll have some opportunities to watch the wildcard games and other stuff in between now and then. So... I guess we'll start here. You know, the Braves obviously clinched this thing this week. That was a lot of fun, as we've all kind of referenced. And we will definitely save our full-blown season review stuff for the offseason because uh, we just kind of have to do that for content purposes. But just to run some numbers down here and paint the picture a little bit of what transpired in the last couple of months even. Uh, this, of course, is the fourth straight division title for the Braves. You know, when we opened this podcast... Carlos and I, and then Eric and Scott later on, uh, they were not winning a lot when we started this podcast. And the last four years, they have now been quite good. This is the 21st division title for the Atlanta Braves. That is the most by any Major League Baseball team in the division era. And this one was crazy in a lot of ways. Um, as we talked about a lot, just to refresh everybody's memories, though, they were trailing by four and a half games in the National League East. They were third they were in third place at 52 and 55 on the morning of August 3rd. That's two months ago today. They were, again, four and a half games out of first and in third place in the National League East. Then they won 16 of the next 18 games, 
turning a four and a half game deficit into a four and a half game lead in 20 days, a nine game swing in 20 days. And then after they leveled off a little bit, they put one more finishing kick together. They won 10 out of 11 from September 19th to September 30th to put the division away. And when that run actually began, they were only up by a half game. They were leading, but the lead had some, it kind of dwindled a little bit. There was some uh, some fear, at least in my soul, along the way there. But um, that finishing kick put it together. So basically, as we've kind of talked about a lot on this podcast, there was those two big runs this season, and uh, that was all they kind of needed to win the division. It wasn't always pretty. It wasn't always uh, fun, honestly, along the way. But the big picture taking a step back it was pretty awesome to see them scratch and claw and re- remake the team midseason and all of that stuff. So we'll get into what happened this week, but I want to just sort of lay the groundwork there to start with. Um, Scott, was this season as weird for you as it was for me? Because it was kind of strange and not, yeah. not not a bad way, just kind of a weird way. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a testament to the team. And and I think Brian Snitker and, and Freddie Freeman both talked about this after they clinched on Thursday night about how there were a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And this was maybe the sweetest division title. They just alluded to them winning four in a row, which is actually now that the Dodgers did not win the West today against the Giants. The Braves now have the longest active division championship streak of four years, which is really remarkable, especially in this day and age of baseball where uh, there's so much parity and, and teams going up and down. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a testament to the clubhouse and the players for sticking with it the entire way. Uh, and when they lost Ronald Acuna just before the all-star break on this podcast, we talked about, you know, what, what does this team have left? Do they have both the mental and even just frankly, the talent to overcome this? Um, they lost, of course, Marcelo Zuna early in the year. They never had Mike Soroka at any point. They were down Travis Darno for most of the year. They were down Waskari Noah for most of the year. Um, it was just one thing after another in the first half. And we, we always kind of hoped this team was going to find itself along the way. And, and thankfully they did. And just uh, the front office and Alex Anthopoulos just crushed the trade deadline to put this team in a position to win. Uh, and as you said, they, you know, when they needed to win, they found a way to win. And they put together that streak in early August uh, and then over the last two weeks or so, they have played so, so well when it mattered most, when they needed every single game. Um, and it, it's been a lot of fun, and, and especially once they've gotten past their early season woes. Um, as a fan and as someone who writes and, and talks about the team pretty regularly, um, this has been a special season. Yeah, it's definitely been a, be- a special season. I still think that the, the 2018 title is the sweetest just because of like the years that they were coming off of. Like, even up until, like, they clinched, we were all just like, you know, when's this, you know, this isn't really happening. Are we sure it's going to happen? They were so young then. And, you know, like seeing, you know, Ronnie catch the final out after coming off a great rookie season. And like that, for me, that was a little bit sweeter. And this one, when we were talking about it, you know, when, when all three of us were talking or, you know, if it was just me or just Scott, like, you know, when Ronnie got hurt, I mean, it felt generous to give them a 10% chance of making the playoffs. And I think we all talked about like, you know, like even if the Braves go on the run, on a run, they're going to have to get some help. Uh, Fortunately they got some help because I don't think I've seen a team crater quite as badly as the Mets did in the second half, but that was impressive. Uh, They were absolutely awful there. I mean, I would pick the Marlins most of the time in a matchup with them in, in a, in a series right now. They're just, they're playing that bad. 
And between that and, you know, the Phillies made, made something like basically matched the Braves runs in a lot of ways. You know, the, the Braves got the division lead, but then once the Phillies got their easier schedule and the Braves had to play some tougher games, that made it where it was a little bit like, you know, like they made up some ground. But I mean, the, when the Braves played the Phillies, it was pretty clear that they were the better team. Um, and that's a testament to both these players. I mean, like, I don't think any of us here, I, I love, I love Australia more, more than most. I, and I don't, I'm not surprised about all the power numbers. I would have lost all the money in my bank account betting on him hitting 300 in a season. And when you get that from that guy and you get Freddie kind of running back into form, you know, then, and you get, you know, like those hot stretches you get from Dansby. Sometimes he, he had put together a couple of those Aussies kind of the same way. And then you got those contributions from those guys that Alex Anthopoulos made at the trade deadline. I, I don't know if he will win it, but he deserves the executive of the year because, you know, is, was the rich rod acquisition something that was like, sure. He faded down the stretch in terms of overall, like, you know, like how much he's performed and, you know, those, some of those peripherals were scary, maybe, but he still got, gave them some good bullpen performances when they really, really needed him right after the trade deadline, even if he faded a little bit. And all these offensive pieces, I mean, sure, are they pl- kind of platoon pieces that you kind of move around your lineup, you know, based on matchups and things like that? Yeah, there's not like a game, you know, they didn't get like a 10-time all-star, you know, like big dollar acquisition at the trade deadline, but they just got guys that can play and have real utility. And, you know, Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall, you know, they might have their warts, but they filled a very important niche on this team. Whereas when the got when Freddie and Austin weren't going wild, you didn't have to hope that it was a hot streak for Ozzy or a hot streak for Dansby to get the offense going. Cause those guys, they, they consistently change games with some of their at bats. They're just big power bats that would just hit big home runs when they needed them. And that was the difference in the the difference in the season for them because they won close games that they were losing. And that was because they were getting that little bit of a boost of an offense. It was again, really, really good to see really, really exciting. Again, I would pick Alex Anthopoulos to win the, you know, executive of the year. I I think that Snicker should be in the the running for manager of the year, not necessarily because of his tactical decisions, but I mean, keeping a team together and motivated like this, that's no joke. And, you know, we, we, we make jokes about, you know, lineup construction and you know bullpen moves and who he's using and why he's using his continued reliance on will smith in situations that he seems a lot of times not always the best option for one thing that guy is really good at is that keeping his teams motivated and wanting to play and hungry and that has real value and considering where the braves were going like into the trade deadline like he, he deserves some he deserves some recognition for that so you know props to those guys just, it was a really, really fun season. Again, uh, definitely a weird one. I'm not sure if I would call it a good surprise in the sense that, like, you know, to get to where we are now, it's not something that was necessarily a lot of good things happened. But overall, like, really, really satisfying team. And this is a team that I could see making a run if some certain things go right. Yeah, I think that that's all, that's all right. And a couple things that I remember slash was looking up um, in advance of this podcast about how things have changed and, you know, we definitely didn't totally bury the Braves with Acuna out, but I think everyone, including us, referenced how unlikely it was going to be that they made this run. And yeah, they got some help to be sure. The division, you know, let's be let's be frank. The Braves have the worst have had the worst record of any playoff team in either league this year. It wasn't as if they finished the season with 97 wins and they had this you know magical run. I mean, they they were great and they had a great run at the end of the, at the end of the season, but they do have the worst record in the playoffs. 
um, anywhere. So it's not like they, you know, were dominant. But at the same time, this is the craziest stat for me. Not only factoring everything in, but with Acuna going out, the day that he got hurt, they were 44 and 44. And the rest of the season, they won at a 97.6 win clip. That's insane. It's not even that. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, and they had, and they kind of had to. I mean, that's the even with as bad as New York cratered and Philly was never that impressive, they still had to win at a ninety-plus win clip without either their best or second-best player, however you think about Ronald Acuna, without their you know MVP frontrunner early in the season, um, and all the other stuff. And you know, the deadline definitely helped. We talked about it a lot, but it's worth just saying again how much they remade the team. But you know, the odds of that happening. I'm looking it up now. On I think it was on the day or maybe the day after Acuna went down, the projection systems were like in the teens and 20s for the Braves to make the playoffs, much less win the division. The division was even lower than that because the wild card was still like more of an option at that point in time. And um, you know, they did have some help, but they also took care of it of their own business along the way. So we should always be uh, talking about that in the uh, in the grand scheme because yeah, it's it really is crazy the way that things changed um, between the long. So I guess between the months and days of a long season, I will just, I will just say that I think Tuesday's game this week, and we're not going to talk about games in too much detail this week because obviously a lot of them didn't matter. But Tuesday's game was like kind of a microcosm of the season <laughs> in a lot of ways because it was a huge win. They had to have it, and they basically put this. In my mind, it was kind of over. It wasn't all the way over after Tuesday night, but that one put them from two and a half games up to three and a half games up, and. Um, essentially put their projections to like the high 90s range but it also wasn't easy at any point like Charlie Morton was great and then you had the ninth inning adventure with Eddie Rosario I I tweeted this but uh, if you I'm very glad that we do not know what the Eddie Rosario game is at this point in time but if they lose that game and then lose the division that goes that goes down in history forever with him dropping the the line drive in left field Um, that was like a microcosm because that was excruciating at points Will Smith was not great in that game once again uh, you got some great pitching from guys who anchored you all season, all season long, and this time it was Charlie Morton. But uh, I guess I'll go back to Eric first, as I went to, uh, went to Scott first last time. But that that I, it really did feel like everything wrapped into about four hours of this season ended up with a positive result, but uh, some roller coasters along the way. Yeah, to be sure, you know the, they get two runs to you know take an early lead, and Morton was so great. Um, Will Smith and Eddie Rosario were not. Um, you know, and it was, you know, the Will Smith adventures over the last week of the season I could have done without just in general. It wasn't simply just that appearance. It was others too. Where, and, you know, the Rosario dropped ball was obviously bad, but at the same time, you know, like it's not like Will Smith was making anyone's life easier that night. Um, just in terms of like, you know, hard hit balls and, you know, base runners. And it's just, again, a lot more interesting than it needed to be. But at the same time, the going into the Philly series, the nightmare scenario and, you know, full stop was the Phillies sweeping because then all of a sudden they have to like, they might go into a, a series against a New York Mets team where there's a lot of like animosity, like the Mets weren't going to be interested in, you know, making it easy for the Braves in the last series of the series season, especially if their season was on the line. So that, that was the nightmare scenario. And when you lose the game that is started by Zach Wheeler, who has been really, really good this year, and he was really good in that game too. Um, Morton outpitched him. But Wheeler didn't make it easy, and he, you know, he kind of fell into a groove there where it just felt like, you know, it was concerning in that, you know, you just didn't know if two runs was going to be enough to to win the game. Um, but the biggest thing in the series for me is just like Bryce Harper did nothing. 
And that was the biggest part of it. like, you know, in that game where it's a really close game, when you have a guy who's like trying to vie for a, an MVP award and who is really, really good and has not exactly, you know, struggled against the Braves in his career, particularly when Julio Tehran was on the mound, it was a, you know, that, that was, that was legitimately scary, but they handled Bryce really well. They just never let any of these guys get anything going offensively in the entire series. And it kind of started with that game and they set the tone that they know who in that lineup could beat them and they didn't let them beat them. Um, overall, like, and I'm with you. It was like, as soon as I saw that, that they won that game, you just start looking, you know, like, I just don't see like the, the, the path that the Phillies are going to have to take is significantly more difficult to try to catch up with the Braves now. Cause then you have to like really kind of hope that the, the Braves just completely flame out the last week. And just, the way they've been playing, I just didn't see that happening. Yeah. I think, you know, Zach Wheeler has been as good as anybody this year. So you look back at that game, you got a huge hit early on from Jorge Soler, who has just been money, especially over the last month. Every time the Braves have won, it feels like Jorge Soler has been involved somehow. Um, and then again, to, to tip our hats to Charlie Morton, he has been everything and more that you could have possibly hoped for uh, when signing him to a one-year deal uh, this past offseason. He's been so steady. He's that veteran presence, I think, in the rotation that uh, you know, over the last couple of seasons, the Braves just haven't had, or at least someone as dominant as Morton, someone who is going to start game one of, of the NLDS, um, a guy who you feel confident with every single time. Um, and then, of course, that has effects on all the other guys in the rotation. And, and you think about this team uh, down the road as one that could make some noise in the postseason because they have Charlie Morton. Um, he struck out 10 across seven innings on Tuesday night. You knew that he needed to be at the very top of his game uh, because Zach Wheeler was the other guy on the mound that night. And to Morton's credit, he was, he was great. Uh, I think he gave up singles on to the first two batters of the game. And after that only allowed one hit and two walks over the next seven innings combined. Um, so he was, he was tremendous. And again, as we, as we look back on this season and, and look ahead to the playoffs, it's hard to imagine the Braves being in this spot without Charlie Morton and how good he has been. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to get into a couple of things in terms of like some look back stuff on you know, Morton and Austin Riley's breakout and all that on all that fun stuff, because there's a lot to get to. But first, it worked from our sponsors on the show today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, before we get into some of the like, big picture look back stuff, and again, we're going to save our full reviews, re review thoughts for a couple of months from now, hopefully, if you're a Braves fan, and we'll be talking about stuff in December. But uh, a few more quick news and notes. Uh, first of all, uh, we, have, we have a newsbreaker among us with, with Eric Scoops Cole, who uh, continues to break news, what, daily now? Are you going to be like the new Ken Rosenthal? Eric, just, 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 just call me the Woj of uh, Braves minor league baseball. I'm, I'm in for it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, so you that, can count on me. I was happy, uh, all joking aside, I was happy to see you get credited by Bowman and others uh, for the scoop on, on Spencer Strider coming up. If, you, if everybody missed this, Eric was the one that broke the news that Strider was going to come up to the Braves. Uh, that was cool to see, not only because you work hard, but because you actually got recognition for it. That doesn't, that doesn't always happen for people that don't, that don't always break news, so congrats on that. And I, I, I joked about it, but it was cool. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Um, 
everyone was like super like again i didn't i wasn't going around begging for it and more importantly i had it well before a lot of other folks so it wasn't like i, yeah, I felt did, any Eric. sort of yeah, yeah well I, I i did i did but at the same time <laughs> getting that sort of recognition from a guy like bowman who like not only i respect a ton I, I i'm you know amongst the braves beat writers you know you will struggle to find anyone better than bow uh, but, you know, in my limited experience with like, you know, covering the team and like actually being in the press box, like one of the nicest, most welcoming people too, and to see him both like recognize the report was out there and to actually like run it down and he got the confirmation to, you know, again, that lends legitimacy to the report and all that stuff. I, I was very comfortable with the sourcing on it, but at the same time, it just, it just, it felt good to be recognized for it. And, you know, seeing my name on MLB trade rumors is definitely one of the weirder things I'm going to ever experience in my life, or at least for at least starting off for now anyway. But it was, again, it was really cool. Uh, I was really happy for Spencer too. Uh, he's been incredibly good. Uh, down there in the minor leagues was really really impressive that fastball is something else i'm really surprised he hasn't recorded his first major league strikeout yet but he's basically faced it all lefties so far which is you know interesting usage but at the same time against the mets you can't really avoid it so it, i mean it was a certainly made my week a lot more interesting than i was planning it on being going into the week but at the same time you know it was really rewarding and i was happy to break the news for everybody yeah there, there you go on that that was that was that was definitely fun and you know the rest of the stuff from the weekend, I mean, it was funny and the jokes were good when Freddie Freeman sat on Friday after they clinched on Thursday because of the uh, now infamous, infamous article with Freddie uh, who does not enjoy resting. As we all have known for a long time, but there was the Yahoo article about Freddie and rest. And uh, he took the first day off after they clinched, which, which I definitely appreciated. Um, they sort of spread it out with Freddie and Nancy sitting on Friday and then Ozzie and Riley on Saturday. Bullpen game is kind of just like punting it to get the rest, of the, get, get, the, get the season over with basically Morton through two, two and two thirds today. Um, there was a 118 mile an hour home run from Jorge Soler on Sunday. That's worth pointing out. Um, but other than that, it was I mean, destroyed. Yeah, I'm surprised the ball didn't just like disintegrate once he hit it. It was wild. Uh, but other than that, I guess I'll go back to Thursday. I will. I'll be honest. I was traveling. I was in a wedding this weekend and did not actually get a chance to watch much of Thursday Live, which is unfortunate. I did get back to get a chance to go back and watch some of the post game stuff later on. But uh, Scott. Uh, I guess we'll start there because that was when they clinched, and uh, I thought it was fitting that it was an eight-pitch save by Will Smith, who was just actually good for once on Thursday night. That was fun. Um, what stood out to you guys? I mean, my personal thing was uh, Guillermo Heredia with the swords and all of that. <laughs> not even, not even, not even close. Uh, Guillermo was the star. He's so good. But uh, I guess we'll start with Scott. What, what stands out to you about Thursday? Because obviously it was uh, it was celebration uh, and pretty raucous, as we talked about earlier in the podcast. Yeah. So here's my question. If you had to party, like post-game party after winning a division with anyone on the roster right now, would it be Guillermo? Would it be Luke Jackson? Would it be Jock Peterson, who we got to bring up Jock was wearing uh, somebody's pearl necklace <laughs> during... Uh, for for reasons no of... one understands. And he, he's just like, and he, and he just like, he's like, I just was wearing them. <laughs> yeah. He's also got a lot of praise. I mean, all joking aside, like he's got a lot of positive press from people like and uh, i think it, with good reason about just like loosening up the clubhouse like apparently yep. Jock pearson's been fantastic in the room with those guys like lots lots of be lots of credit being given to him which you know I, i'm not sure i even knew that but uh, he seems like a yeah. good guy Vi vibes guy for sure he does yeah and he you know of course he has not played as much over the last six weeks or so with the additions of all those other outfielders but you know, he played some really important games and some important at bats in the first couple weeks of august as the team started to find its footing, uh, you know, for me, I think 
closing out the series with the sweep of the Phillies on Thursday was big for a variety of reasons. For me, it was knowing that it was over. You, you did not need to risk anyone going hard on uh, over the weekend. You were not suddenly relying on the Miami Marlins to beat the Phillies at all until uh, they did beat the Phillies twice this weekend, which is pretty funny. Um, and, and as we just mentioned a little while ago, you know that the Mets, if they had a chance to spoil a brave season, they were going to come in and give it everything they had. So to eliminate those possibilities entirely, wrap it up on Thursday, give everybody a day or two off over the weekend, line up your bullpen, line up your rotation for all of those reasons. It was really, really important to wrap this thing up and, and what a great way to be able to celebrate on the field with the Phillies and the opposing dugout. Um, that's always a little sweet too. I think, correct me if I'm wrong. Of course, there were no fans last year, but I believe they've clinched the division now in three of the four years at home. Is that, is that right? I mean, it's always as a, as a player, I would imagine it's, it's a little sweeter to be able to celebrate in your own dugout with your family and everything like that. But I think to correct me if I'm wrong here, I'll look this up. They've, they've been able to clinch at home every year uh, during these four years of, of division titles, which is, uh, I guess a cherry on top. I honestly don't know. So maybe Eric does. But so, I don't. so 2018 for sure. And this year, obviously, for sure. I think 2019 may have been in Chicago. That I, for whatever reason, I think that they were in, they were at Wrigley for that. Uh, and then, mm. and then, and then 2020. Yeah. The, the, they, they went, they, I know that the battery exploded when they clinched out. The, out That's right. There. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So like, so three, so three out of four sounds right. Um, I, I think it might've been in Chicago. Uh, now to answer the question you posed, Scott, that uh, who I'd rather party with, I'm pretty sure the answer is Guillermo for a number of reasons. One, he seems like really fun. I, I would need to give him a good five foot radius because he swings those swords around, which is a little bit concerning considering the amount of drinking that was involved. But yeah. I also know that that guy is going to find wherever the fun is. Whereas I could see like Jock having kind of like fun in like his spot. You know what I mean? Like he was kind of like smoking a cigar in the dugout and he was just doing his thing uh at times and like luke jackson you know he'll have like his where he's partying whether it be like climbing to the the fountain and then watching will smith struggling desperately to try to get into the fountain and almost failing to do so uh but like guillermo's gonna find all of those things because he's just gonna be everywhere uh that that when he busted in on jorge soler's interview and were behind him when it was on live tv was hysterical um ozzy albies being so hammered and tired that he let an f-bomb loose on yeah. uh on live tv uh you know he, and then asking paul bird to redo it and paul's trying to explain to him that they're live we're live he's like yeah that's uh it, it was like it was it was a lot of fun to watch it, they it love seeing guys being able to celebrate something like that the the series itself you couldn't have asked for it to go better when your starters give up they average two runs a game against them like that's gives you a really good chance to win games and, you know, and like hat off hats off to the bullpen too. like the, you know, again, Will Smith making things more interesting than they need to be at times was a little bit frustrating, but at the same time, when they came, when they needed to get outs, they got them. Luke Jackson, Jackson's been amazing. Uh, and I would, again, not have guessed that happening going into season, especially when like the loss of the sticky stuff and people were thinking that maybe he might be a casualty of that. He just looked better uh, than he had been, uh, you know, pre the sticky stuff fan. So, you know, the bullpen did their job, the pitching did their job, and the offense, which I think is a really important thing kind of going into the playoff series against the Brewers, is, you know, you don't want to be, you know, winning like a bunch of 3-2 games and then going against one of the better pitching staffs in the playoffs in the Brewers. You want your bats to be – you want to be swinging the bat well and you want to at least, you know, 
feel feel like guys are pretty dialed in. And it seems like this offense is dialed in because they were beating up some, I mean, they didn't beat up Wheeler necessarily, but they looks like that they're doing well. They did well against the Mets and they did well against the Phillies. So that's, that, that was the thing I kind of took away is that once they won that first game, I felt really good about their division chances. And then they really kind of just blew out the rest of the week, uh, you know, taking two out of three against the Mets and sweeping the Phillies. So, you know, when they're hitting the ball, well, they're playing well, they're pitching really well, and they seem really loose and excited and actually get a little bit of rest too. I mean, it was just, it was a fantastic week and the, and the celebration stuff of all the celebrations, other than again, like after that 2018 season where everyone was just like, finally we got another one and it was a kind of a different set of emotions like this one was really really fun to watch yeah that's uh that's well said and i don't don't, i'm not sure what my answer would be i'm more of a low-key guy in general i'm not sure i can handle guillermo in general but that was it was it was fun to watch just just follow him around and observe like you don't have to like you know get don't get swords out you're asking for trouble if you're trying to match him like i I don't know that's not a good idea not not a chance i'd have to i have to people watch i think if i would one of the the bench coaches would be who i would actually want to just vibe with I think because I'm old, uh, but no, it was Brad and Walt. Brad and Walt Weiss, just... exactly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, Ron Washington, something like that would be good for me. Um, I don't know. Ron, Ron might be there with Kier. Ron goes hard. <laughs> that's true. Uh, Ron, Ron is not shy. But regardless, I mean, it was it was so much fun to watch, and uh, we talked about it, you know the roller coaster ride. I, they all felt it. I mean, some of the quotes too, like just how to keep that thing together and be excited and be dialed in and really grind. I mean, they had to they had to win a lot of games in that back half of the season to get this done. And they did, and they managed to do it. Um, we'll stay abroad. And we talked about it a little bit, but I mean, the offense helped them all year long, but when you, you know, take out Ronnie and Ozuna, they basically had the three stars all season long. You had Freeman, you had Albies and you had Austin Riley having his breakout. And we talked around it, but Riley, I mean, what were the odds of Riley, not only hitting 300 for the season, which I think was astronomical, Hitting three, hitting three hundred three after the way he started the season, is even crazier because he hit like three twenty plus after the first like three weeks of the season. Like that's how crazy good he was the rest of the way. And you know, I'm not you know the MVP stuff was kind of funny. Like he never was really in the top two or three in the MVP race, despite the way the broadcast talked about him. But at the same time, like he really is going to get top ten, top five, maybe. MVP votes from people, and that was uh, not on the board coming into the year. So th- those three guys, then you get 30 combined home runs from Duvall and Soler post-All-Star break, and not even playing every day for those guys. That's how crazy those were. And then even Rosario got hot late in the season. So, I mean, the offense was definitely uh, was key. I mean, they had they were kind of had key stuff on every level, but given – what we knew about no Ronnie for half a season and no Ozuna for most of the season to score 790 runs. They finished third in the national league and run scored. That is a uh, pretty impressive. And it, it's sort of, a, I would say an across the board credit, but definitely the three stars at the top. Yeah. And it's again, it's just a testament to what I mean. Look, Freddie didn't start the season off well either. Right. Like, you know what I mean? No. What he had to get his numbers to, you know, getting back to, you know, basically looking like Freddie again, maybe it wasn't quite as crazy as it was in 2020, but it was, you know, still very, very good and just ultra consistent. And when you got those additions, you know, whether it be, you know, Jorge Soler, uh, leadoff hitter extraordinaire uh, in front of him, and then you, you know, getting on base or and or hitting home runs and clearing them to make it easier on Freddie. And then you have Austin being able to, you know, once Freddie was, you know, maybe, you know, hitting more doubles and singles and, you know, maybe hitting a bunch of home runs, but Riley was like making him run those bases and 
Albies got put in a better spot and he was really had some really good stretches for the, for the Braves. The whole infield was really just insane this year. Uh, if Dansby Swanson's your worst infielder in a given offensive season, given the season that he put together, you're in really good shape. So, you know, when you have, when you, and it's just nice that when you have guys that, you know, maybe if like your one through four guys aren't doing, you know, aren't getting it done, but you still have guys lower in your lineup, depending on the matchups. I mean, like Adam Duvall will just win baseball games. Sometimes he just like flips a switch and he'll just drive in five runs. And then that's all you need from that game. So uh, it's just, again, it's, it, a really, really kind of wild season. And it, the the tone was dictated by, you know, Alex Antopoulos saying, hey, we need to make these moves. We think that if we get enough pieces, we can stitch together something. And he went out and got exactly the right pieces that they had to, and especially for what they gave up for him. Well, and I think, too, what makes this lineup just so good is it's one through eight. Every single player can put the ball over the fence. I think that's what we saw last year, even in the shortened season. Every single guy you talk about, Adam Duvall, single-handedly winning you a game, I think you can really go up and down this lineup, and every single player can be the hero on any given night, and that was that was not the case earlier in the season. I mean, I, I think Guillermo and Abraham Almonte, those guys deserve a little bit of credit for the way they filled in uh, with the loss of Ozuna and Acuna. Um, but frankly, they have limitations to their games, and that's no one expected them to be all-stars by any means. But I think seeing the additions of Eddie Rosario, a left-handed bat, I think for the middle of the, the middle of the order has been really, really beneficial to help balance that out a little bit. And then, as you just said, 30 home runs in basically two months from Adam Duvall and Jorge Soler, that does a lot for an offense. And that quick strike ability, I think if there's one thing you can point to with this lineup, it's, it is reliant on the home run ball. And you hope that's going to continue and be successful in the playoffs that that remains to be seen of course but I think the quick strike ability uh sure it's fun to watch an inning where you have five singles and you just run everyone around the bases but that ability to put the ball over the fence at any given time is so so valuable and and was a lot of fun to watch this year absolutely and we're going to talk about the pitching stuff too um when we get into the series preview in part two of this but you know obviously Morton Freed Morton all year and Freed in the last two months has like a 1.5 ERA, which is just madness. And they kind of had to patch it together. You know, Drew Smiley in and out of the rotation, you know, it gets hurt. Anderson was like solid, but not incredible and also missed some time. And they had to piece it together and it worked out very well anchored by those two guys. And even the bullpen like was not incredible at times this year, but they had enough depth to where it didn't kill them. Um, And we can get into that as well when we get to uh, the series preview, but obviously a, a full team effort. Uh, it's hard for me to honestly know how good they are. And that might sound funny, but it's because they're, it's such a different team. And they've had these like segments of the season where I said it earlier, but they're like a 90, 98 win pace the last, the last like two and a half, three months. But at the same time, it's like, I, I don't know what their actual true talent level is on this roster because of where they are on the division and all that stuff. But we know they're pretty good. We know they're feisty. Um, the numbers seem to think that they're definitely uh, live to make a run in this uh, in this playoff setting. So plenty to get into. Uh, before we get into the playoff series, uh, sort of playoff preview and part two of this podcast, any final thoughts, at least for now? Again, we'll come back to it later. But any final thoughts from either, from either one of you guys on, uh, on the regular season? Because it's obviously a full speed ahead now into the playoffs. It, this, especially the last two months or so have been so much fun to watch. And I think I'll be the first one to say there were a lot of really frustrating moments in the first half of the year. And 
nights where you just think to yourself, man, I just don't know if they're going to figure this thing out and credit to the team. Um, you know, I'm thankful. And that there was a lot of talk this week. I wanted to at least bring this up about, well, the Braves won the division, but they only won the division because the Mets and the Phillies weren't any good. And, and while that is technically true, I do think it's worth pointing out these things always balance out. Um, two years ago, the National League East was probably the best division in baseball. Braves won 97 games. The Nationals had their crazy run and won the World Series. Uh, the Mets won like 88 games and just missed a playoff spot. The Phillies won 83 games. So, yes, they took advantage of the division, and that's credit to them. Anybody else could have taken advantage of this poor division and, and won the division and gone to the postseason. Um, but it really was just fun to see not only the Braves uh, figure things out in, in August and September, but to also watch the Phillies and the Mets collapse just despite their massive payrolls and all of the preseason expectations they get year in and year out. Um, it was doubly sweet to see their downfall while Atlanta finally figured some things out. And by all accounts, this was a really easy team to root for as well. And a lot of fun personalities and uh, it made for a really, really great year. Yeah. And I, I don't want to, again, harp too much on the divisional stuff because something that's worth kind of keeping in mind is that, the Braves had a hand in the rest of the division being bad. They played the division really, really well. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you go again, when you go 45 and 31 against the East, one of the reasons that the East doesn't look, I mean, obviously these teams were a little bit, this was certainly a weaker division. There's no questioning that, but one of the reasons why that they kind of ended up with, you know, winning the game division by six and a half games is because they were beating up on the other teams in the division. They did their job against those teams. And so does the Graves deserve a certain amount of credit for that. You know what I mean? Um, the, the thing that was almost maddening to the most maddening is just like, you know, had really, really struggled, like struggled in the extra innings, struggled in one run games and things like that. But some of that just comes down to just some, some bad luck situations too. This team could have very easily just with like a few bounces going their way, as opposed to them not going their way, particularly in the first half of the season, they could have won this division by 13 games. And that's like not counting like things like Ronald Acuna being out for half the season and, you know, Mike Soroka not pitching a game or, you know, Marcelo Zuna, you know, first not hurting himself and two not being under indictment. So I'm, I agree that the division was weaker, but at the same time, considering everything this team had to go through, losing the quality of players they had, they lost in addition to this, the quantity of the players they lost and they still managed to put stitches together. Like it speaks a lot to their character. And I think that it bodes well for them kind of going forward, especially going into the playoffs. I agree. And uh, I think it's a good place to leave it for now. So obviously we have celebrated the season to this point in time. We will again, spend more time looking back on the regular season and the playoffs as we get into the offseason, whenever that may actually arrive. But for now, that will do it for our look back segment and this podcast of part one. So if you're listening to this show all the way to the end, thank you for joining us. And part two should be on your feeds basically at the same time. So that would be uh, all Braves Brewers talk with the three of us talking about the playoff series, which begins on Friday. So please stay tuned for that. Click over, subscribe, tell your friends. Thanks to Scott. Thanks to Eric. And we'll, we'll be right back with part two of this podcast.